0: Everyone knows data is the essential element in improving government operations, understanding trends in the world, and solving big problems. Yet sometimes data can reveal too much, like people's personal information. That's why data sets have to undergo what's known as de-identification. Now the National Institute of Standards and Technology has updated crucial guidance on how to do this. For more, we turn to NIST computer scientist Simpson Garfinkel. Mr. Garfinkel, good to have you with us. Thank you very much. And... Tell us exactly why de-identification is required. Is it because of the application to which the data might be applied, or why do people need to do this?
1: Well, I think we need to to step back a bit. Federal agencies operating under the Open Data Act are required to make data sets in their possession available to the public. Many federal data sets don't have any privacy-sensitive information in them, but some do, and some have information that's uh, sensitive for businesses. So agencies that want to make those data sets available to the public need to have some way of removing the information in those data sets that could damage privacy, damage proprietary interests, while still providing value to data users. And that's the topic that the draft publication that was just closed for comment, that's the point of that publication.
0: Right, and this is a reissue of some older guidance. So what has changed now? What caused NIST to decide that you need to get a new draft out there and get
1: comments? Well, actually, it's not a reissue of older guidance. The guidance was never issued. Back in uh, 2016, a draft was published, and then due to uh, a number of internal issues, that draft was never finalized. And so over the years, there's been an effort to finish that draft and actually bring it across the the finish line. And so that's what this is about. Until a NIST document is issued, it's not guidance. It's just a draft document.
0: Got it. But uh, what was the issue the last time around? People overwhelmed comments or it just you said it was an internal Uh, issue
1: the issue was that the the individuals working on it were working on other projects
0: all right and when you do de-identify then it sounds like it's just a matter of removing certain information from a database and leaving the rest or is it more complicated than that
1: Well, unfortunately, it's a lot more complicated than that. Many years of experience have shown us that if you simply remove obvious information and release a data set, that that information can be revealed through manipulations of the data set or by linking the information that remains in the data set with other data sets that are publicly available. In a previous NIST document, we detailed that. In this document, we reference that document, and we also provide some more concrete guidance. I could give you an example if you would like.
0: Yeah, please do.
1: Right. So one of the famous examples is that in the 1990s, there was a uh, request from the New York City Taxi and License Commission for a list of uh, all the taxi paths, and uh, that was uh, – released under their Freedom of Information Act, their equivalent of it. And uh, the taxi medallion numbers had been transformed, so they weren't obvious. And the uh, start and end locations of every taxi drive was left in the data set. So uh, one of the first things that was done was that people realized that the transformation for the taxi medallion numbers could be backed out. It was uh, hashed into a sequence of, into an alphanumeric code, but it was possible to take all possible taxi medallion numbers, hash them, and match that up. And then uh, other people noticed that if you looked at the start location and at the end location, there were some locations that were unique for individuals. So it was possible, for example, to see people who were starting a taxi ride at a strip club, And ending that taxi ride at a residence, and then you could infer that there was some relationship between the person who lived at that residence and the the strip club.
0: We're speaking with Simpson Garfinkel. He's a computer scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So the guidance that you are hoping to publish, now that you have the comments in the draft, when it becomes published, will be designed for technical people to know how to de-identify thoroughly, or will it be for maybe higher level people, or not higher level, but people that are less concerned with the technical details that need to understand that their data that they release is safe?
1: Well, this is a a guidance for government agencies, and the private industry is welcome to look at it. And it's meant for both uh, data practitioners, as well as for policy Uh, People in the privacy office, and it's also meant for regulators to consider. It's general principles for de-identifying government data sets. So the the previous publication I wanted to reference was uh, NISTIR 8053 de-identification of personal information, and and that was published in October 2015. It's still current, and it has uh, many examples of um, information data sets that were released that were thought to be properly de-identified that were not properly de-identified.
0: And there's a term differential privacy that comes into this, and that is somehow different from de-identification. Can you explain that concept?
1: So de-identification is a general principle. It's a goal. Some people use it as a specific set of mechanisms, and the NIST talks about the differences, and the SP-800-188 discusses differential privacy as an approach that might be used for de-identification. Differential privacy is a mathematical definition of privacy that has been developed since 2006. It was used in the 2020 census to release data sets of uh, the number of people living in on each block of the United States. And it's going to be used for other data products from the 2020 census. And the idea of differential privacy is to carefully control the privacy loss that individuals suffer when their private data is used to create a public statistical product. Differential privacy is one approach that you could use for de-identification. There are other approaches. Unfortunately, there's less mathematical or formal basis for those other approaches. Uh, people who use them hope that they work. They're much more, say, aspirational than differential privacy, but there's no way to know if they actually are working, and and that's uh, one of the problems that they, we have with them.
0: Right. So then, just to get back to de-identification there, the objective is to such that when the data set is released and has been de-identified, nobody can make correlations through some other means and reconstruct what was taken out with respect to personally identifiable information?
1: So that's actually not true, unfortunately. There's no way to have an absolute guarantee of privacy or an absolute guarantee that there's no risk. We can simply lower the amount of risk and we can lower the amount of privacy loss that individuals suffer. One of the reasons that we've had some challenges in getting this out is that there's a lot of disagreements in the data user community between people who are using old legacy techniques for de-identification, where they believe that they could have an absolute assurance of safety, and people who are up with the current mathematics, uh, the, the current research, which shows that there is no way to be totally safe. Uh, differential privacy forces you to confront that. And techniques that don't use differential privacy are more sort of like, um, you know, fire and hope. Like you, you, you use the approach, you think that it's going to work, but there's really no mathematical underlying basis that it will work. And, and that's what leads to the sort of privacy problems that we documented in this and Mr. 8053.
0: Okay, so people should read both. And you mentioned that the comments were closed as we speak. If someone still wants to comment, will you take it in and have a look?
1: I'm sure I'll receive any comments that come in, even if they come in after the window. We just can't guarantee that for significant comments that we'd be able to take them into account. But we'll certainly look at them.
0: Simpson Garfinkel is a computer scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time.
0: And we'll post this interview along with a link to the new guidance or the draft at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Identify with the Federal Drive. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking Earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And, David, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with
2: you. It's not in, your, um, in the short bio here, but I also know you serve in some capacity in the Obama administration. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I
3: was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century based on how many students they don't admit I'm about just the opposite taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence
2: for them you've had so many opportunities that you could do other things perhaps at um, larger organizations
3: did as well. So here I am having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing that potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Susulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion?